so excited to share what God put on my heart um, this afternoon, this morning, and um, I, I think it's going to be powerful. We've been talking about spiritual warfare, and I preached a message last week called Love and War, and so many times we don't bring up love when it comes to spiritual warfare, but one of the biggest forms of spiritual warfare is that the enemy wants us to make wants us to believe that God does not love us. Romans 8 tells us that not even the powers in hell can separate us from the love of God. So that lets us know what these powers in hell often try to do is make us feel separated from the love of God. And we talked about a lot of things last week, but make sure you check out the podcast or the YouTube. But we talked about spiritual warfare primarily happens, at least in my life and people that I get the privilege of pastoring in four areas. One, how we see God. The enemy came after Adam and Eve and changed their perspective on how they saw God. He said, does God really, did God really say that? He just knows you'll be like God. And then he likes to attack our perspective on how we see ourselves. And then he knows that if we don't see ourselves as loved by God, we won't love our neighbor. And so then it attacks our perspective on how we see others. And then he wants us to have a different perspective, the enemy, on how we see our circumstances. These, not, these might not necessarily contain all ways you can feel under attack, but these primary four ways, if we can walk in the way that God wants us to walk in these four areas, I'm telling you, this next three years, there's something about this next few years that unprecedented favor and blessing are going to come as we fight the battles we are supposed to fight. I wish somebody would have told me that this was a fight. It's this, this is going to be a fight, but it's worth the fight. Paul actually said this in some of his last statements. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. And so I want to encourage you today to fight the good fight and keep the faith. That's what spiritual warfare is really all about. It's a good fight. Come on, 11 a.m. Do you believe it's a good fight? We're going to take a look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 30, and why not read 30 verses of scripture? Why not? Let's go for it. And so many times in the Old Testament, there's a lot of physical representations of a spiritual reality. So the way that they set up the temple was a spiritual representation on how we would, excuse me, a physical representation on how we would approach God spiritually. In, in the Old Testament, there's so many spiritual, uh, physical battles where they actually physically got in the war. But then when you get to the New Testament, it's less physical war and it's spiritual warfare. But we can learn from some of the physical battles in the Old Testament to prepare us for the spiritual battles as New Testament Christians full of faith, believing for God's best in this next season. So 2 Chronicles 20 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. So we're going to read the whole thing. Are you ready, 11 a.m.? Come on. Somebody, this is the most Bible you read all week. You're about to get all your Bible reading in today. You don't even have to do a devotional tomorrow. Yeah, you do. Just playing. It says, after this, the armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Meunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. We could stop there for a second because it says after this. So obviously after 2 Chronicles 19, Jehoshaphat does a couple of really cool things for God. You know, he starts cleaning and giving people directives, cleaning up some of the sin. And right after he does something awesome for God, uh, he is surrounded by enemies on all sides. Anybody ever felt like that? Right after you sign up for growth track, right after you say, I'm committed, I'm going to church, 
Anybody ever feel like you just got done, pastor counted the three, you closed your eyes, every head was bowed, and you just raised your hand, and you said yes to Jesus, and then two seconds later, enemy busts you upside your head, and you don't even know where you're going to be able to pay your rent. Anybody feel like right after you do something for God, the enemy comes and attacks you? Sometimes your greatest challenges are after your greatest victories. You just preach a good message and you go home, and I, that happens to me. I, I preach fire on a Sunday. I go home, and what am I doing with my life? Enemy tries to make me think that I have no value. You book the audition, and that's when you think you're the most unworthy, sometimes when things are going well for you. And so this is what Jehoshaphat's enemies did to him. It says, messengers came and told Jehoshaphat. Now, if you're pronouncing it correctly, it's Jehoshaphat. Come on, Holly. I'm doing my Hebrew. Come on, get up for Pastor Holly. I got a Hebrew accent because she went to Bible college and she's teaching me. Come on. That's like a scholarship. She did all the work. I just ask her how to say it. Cool. Come on. Thanks for the scholarship, Pastor Holly. It says he was told. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army of Edom is marching against you. This is one of the most beginning moments of spiritual warfare where somebody, the enemy, somebody, whether it's, it, whether it's a person or the enemy, the devil, tries to tell you what is coming against you. Do you know how hard that's going to be? See, you got to have messenger telling you in this season, hey, this is what is against you. But this is why God sends messengers not to tell you what's against you, but to tell you who is for you. If God, is, if God be on your side. So sometimes you get both messages and they compete with each other. The message of what's against you and the message of who is for you competes with each other. And sometimes you think that what's against you means that somebody's not for you. But no, the Bible says that things will come against you. But if you understand God is for you, then what comes against you will not win. Does anybody believe it? Does anybody believe, I'm telling you right now, that Jesus is for you. So when you have things that come against you, God is for you. It says they're coming all the way from the Dead Sea. It, look, look how close they are, the messengers come. They're already at Hazazon, Tamar, and they're like, that's around the corner. It's getting close. It says this was another name for En Gedi. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. I want to tell you something. I've been going on this uh, bit of a journey with fasting, and fasting is a powerful tool that God has given us. John the Baptist said this, I must decrease so God can increase. And there's something about fasting where you just give up a meal or give up food. Don't try to go, get all crazy and start and don't eat for 40 days and dying. Like, you know, somebody, I'm me, I go from zero to 100. I'm not going to eat for 40 days. Don't, just start with no more hot dogs or no more... No more, don't get the Popeye's chicken sandwich when it comes back. Don't eat that. Just start there, right? But fasting is powerful. And at first I started doing it just to get my, my diet right. But now I've been seeing a shift spiritually. And some of you guys, you know, you don't, you, you might already be like a vegan and eating healthy. You barely eat now. Maybe that you don't fast that. But, but maybe you fast like that Netflix binge session and replace it with something you do for God. It's not about not doing it, it's what you replace it with. And maybe you just take this time where you were eating whatever you wanted to eat and you worship the Lord in that time. 
Come on, God, the Bible says we are God's holy people. And you will never see a holy person that doesn't have holy time. The Bible says the very first thing that God ever called holy was time. My Sabbath day, keep it holy. And so even if it's five minutes, and, and hey, I'm not here to try to condemn anyone, but there are many people here, you know you're doing something that maybe isn't what the Word of God says. Maybe, you know, you're, you know, the Bible says to wait before you get married to have sex, and maybe you're not doing that, but just give it one day. Just say Friday. Start somewhere. Just say Friday, I'm not doing nothing with nobody, babe. We, and maybe Friday will turn into Saturday. And maybe Saturday will turn, I'm just encouraging you to start somewhere with a holy time. If you're not there yet, just tell babe five minutes. Just let me get five minutes to be, just start somewhere. Start your journey somewhere. We all got to start somewhere. Come on, anybody, don't despise small beginnings. <laughs> maybe just, just go down to one black and mild. Maybe you just like four a day. Just go down to one on Fridays and just praise God. Do something, start somewhere, fast something, so you can encounter God in even more of a, of a special way. And so the Bible says in verse 4, after this, all the people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. He prayed this, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone, God of our ancestors, this is a multi-generational church. There shouldn't be a young church and there shouldn't be an old church because there's some young people in here who need to be reminded about what God did for the people who came before them. God of my ancestors, God of the people. This church, it might be your first day, but it's your first day in church, but it's not the first day of the church, 35 years. God of the God who was doing stuff in 1985, you are still God today. God of my ancestors, you alone are God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. He's reminding himself that the enemy is not in charge. God is. He says, you are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? I love that verse. Because if you look at a couple chapters earlier, the prophet showed up and told Jehoshaphat that he was doing some things wrong, partnering with the enemy. So in Jehoshaphat's moment of weakness, he reminded God, hey, um, I might not be all that right. That's like me going to God in prayer and say, hey, Lord, remember what you said to Pastor Philip about you would bless everybody who goes? You know what I mean? Like he's just bringing up, let me just present to you someone who I know that you were faithful to. Let me just remind you that you're a faithful God. And, and I'm not sure what you do for me, but there's something that would tell me that if you did it for Abraham, you, you do it for me. Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us walk our race, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Reminds him of the promises he made to Abraham, and he said, your people settled here and built the temple to honor your name. They said, they said, whenever, whenever, we are faced with any calamity such as war, plague, or famine. We can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. And now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt, so they went around them and did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us. 
He's literally saying, we let them off the hook and now they're back. They didn't pay us back the first time and now they're taking money again. Or he's, he's just reminding God of what's going on. And he says, for they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. Attack us. We don't know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. What do you do when you don't know what to do? If you're like me, you process. And some people are processing themselves right out of the presence of God. Because you don't know what to do, and if you're like me, if I don't know what to do, my mission is to find out what to do. No, no, no. Find out, don't find out what to do, because so many of us are distracted by what we're looking for. We're distracted from who we should be looking to. Before you look for the solution to that problem, look to Jesus. Before you look how you're going to get out of this situation with your finances, look to Jesus. Before you look for a way to save your marriage, look to Jesus. Before you look for a promotion, look to Jesus. Never be distracted by what you're looking for from what you should be and who you should be looking to, and that is Jesus. The Bible says, Look to the hills where your help comes from. John the Baptist was discipling and baptizing a bunch of people, and all of a sudden he looks up and he says, Jesus, he sees Jesus, and he tells a crowd of people, behold, look, the Lamb of God. He stops doing the look, and he encourages everyone there who is being baptized to stop. Let's stop for a second and look. Behold, John the Baptist knew you will become what you behold. If you behold fear, you will become fearful. If you behold hopelessness, you will become hopeless. If you behold Jesus, the Bible says with unveiled faces we can see and behold Jesus and reflect his glory. It's a powerful thing. Be careful what you're looking at when you get yourself in trouble. Somebody say, what you looking at? I just felt like saying that. <laughs> Says we don't know what to do, but we're looking for you. And watch 13. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord, not some of the men, all the men. You know what all means in Hebrew? It means all. I said all the men, not some, not half, not a few, not 12. All the men. When I speak a point, all the men should be praising God. All the men should worship. All the men. You see, the, the, the women are clapping right now. Don't you let them praise God for you. The Bible says all the men stood in the presence of the Lord. I wish I had 20 men that be willing to stand and fight the battle that is going on in this city. It says all the men stood up and worshiped the Lord. We love our women as a church, but a woman should not be praising God louder than her husband, louder than her boyfriend. Is there anybody who's a man that wants to give a shout of praise to God and not leave women on the battlefield by themselves? fighting a battle that we should be on the front lines. It says all the men, somebody shout all. Some of the single women are like, oh, <laughs> oh you praise them, boy, you praise them. You go ahead and praise God. Be careful. There's a lot of nice men that don't know the Lord. I know they opened the door, but is their heart open to Jesus? Let me tell you something. Single ladies, you better be clapping. Ah! 
just clap. I saw somebody in the back clapping like a seal. So I speak to the men. Sister trying to get married up in here. Says, as all the men of Judah stood before the Lord, watch this with their little ones, wives and children. What a powerful picture of the men walking in the presence of God with their, with their family behind them, stood in the presence of the Lord. And it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon one man. This will shift a nation. This will shift a family. It'll shift a city when the spirit of the Lord comes on one person who in the middle of a battle can say what God wants them to say. So many times the enemy wants us to see what he wants us to see, so we'll say what he wants us to say. But faith and a battle is when you can see your enemy, but say what God wants you to say about that situation. It says the Spirit of the Lord. He says his name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah. That's also the correct pronunciation. Son of Yael, son of Matanyah. Woo, that was good. A Levite who was a descendant of Asaph, he said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. Somebody's got to get up. You can't lay down and pray on this one. You got to get up and you got to face your enemy. You can't run from this one. He says, march out against them. Let me tell you what they're trying to do. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jerel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions. Stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Oasis. He is with you, Judah. He is with you, Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them, not next week, not next month, not next year. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Somebody give God praise. God is with you. God is with you. God is with you. He says, then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, the word of the Lord, and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. In a moment of warfare, they're talking about love. And it says, at the very moment they begin to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began to attack each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. 
somebody's going to step out into what God has for them in this next season, and you're going to see the fear that you used to have. You're going to see the hopelessness that you used to have. You're going to see the depression that you used to have just laying around. It's not going to be in you. It's going to be off you. You're going to see the shame that you used to have, the discouragement. I'm telling you right now, God is fighting for you. And he says, not a single one of the enemy escaped. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables more than what they could carry. What if that blessing you are looking for is in the hands of the enemy you're called to defeat? What if God doesn't want to give it to you because you'll share it with the spirit of fear? What if God doesn't want to give it to you because you're still burdened and you won't rest, and God knows if he gives you the promotion, you'll work 14 hours instead of the 10 you're working now instead of trusting God. He says, no, we got to defeat all of these enemies, and they got more valuables than they could carry, and there was so much plunder that it took them three days to collect it all. Jeez, I want that. Come on, I want you to leave so I can spend three more days collecting your stuff. You know, like, I want that kind of blessing. And watch this. On the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing. Did they move? Wasn't it the Valley of Warfare a moment ago? See how spiritual warfare is designed for you to look at your circumstances a different way? They didn't move to the Valley of Blessing. The Valley of Warfare became the Valley of Blessing when they stood their ground and fought the good fight of faith. The valley of warfare turned to the valley of blessing. And some place you're in right now that you're praying for God to get you out of is your valley of blessing. It just hasn't had its name changed yet. It says it's still called the valley of blessing to this day. Then all the men returned to Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat leading them. Overjoyed that the Lord had given them victory over their enemies, they marched into Jerusalem to the music of harps, lyres, and trumpets, and they proceeded to the temple of the Lord when all the surrounding kingdoms heard the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel. The fear of God came over them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace for his God had given him rest on every side. Every side. Front, back, side to side. <laughs> on every side. My daddy used to listen to that song, so that was just a shout-out to him. As I was praying for you today, I felt like God said, welcome to the Fight Club. I don't know what you've been told about Christianity, but Christianity has always been and always will be a fight. It's always been people who believe God standing on the front lines, not just getting what God has for them, but helping other people get what God has, fighting so that this city would know Jesus, not fighting. And so many times we get comfortable, we finally get our thing that we're believing God for, and then we don't fight for what God wants to do in this city. God wants to reach every single person in this city, every single person. We are responsible for 50 years from now. Do you know that God wants to take believers and have them be held responsible for the city of Los Angeles 100 years from now? Do you know what it would feel like for 90 years from now for you to be driving down or probably being driven, um, if, probably being driven 90 years from now, and to know 
that the move of God that is happening and young people who have been raised up in the knowledge of the Lord came because you were willing to fight, because you were willing to get on the battlefield. Welcome to the fight club. And the fight club is the fight of faith. And the Bible says it's a, it's a good fight. I went to a Dodger game. I go to Dodger games all the time, actually. Um, a lot, thanks to Pastor Philip. He's such a big Dodger fan. And I went to a Dodger game with him a few weeks ago, and somebody said, I didn't know you were a Dodger fan. Or he said, I didn't know you were a baseball fan. I said, I'm not a baseball fan. Oh, I didn't know you were a Dodger fan. I said, I'm not really a Dodger fan. I'm a fan of Dodger games. I just love to go to Dodger games. And I'm a really big fan of something that I can't eat as much called a Dodger dog, you guys. I'm trying to figure out if we can chop up Dodger dogs in like tiny pieces and take communion with them. Because it's just, there's something spiritual about it. And I actually learned from my friend Daryl that I was like, man, sometimes they're not that great. I'm going to give you this free piece of wisdom. But, but when you go to the Dodger Stadium, you got to make sure that the sign and the concession stand says Dodger Dogs Grilled. Because if it doesn't say grilled, they're boiling the hot dog. It's super nasty. And so I'm here to make sure that your Dodger Dog experience is consistent. So make sure you go to Dodger Dog Grilled. Somebody give Jesus a shout of praise for Dodger Dogs. Fresh relish, relish and ketchup. Come on, Pastor Philip. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about. There's this one video I found on YouTube. I just Googled Dodger Dogs, and there's this little boy, and the baseball, if you go to a Dodger game, you love to catch a baseball. Baseball goes to the outfielder. The outfielder tries to give it to the little boy, and the little boy has this Dodger dog like, dude, what are you doing? I'm eating. You're like, I'm here for the Dodger dog. So I went to this baseball game, and this one particular I went to was on September 18, 2006. Why do I remember it? Because it was a monumental game. My boss, my old boss had given me tickets to this game, and we, we stayed the game in the seventh inning stretch. I love that song. Man, it's amazing. And I don't know about you, but right around the seventh inning when I go to a Dodger game, I start strategizing when I'm going to leave. Because at Dodger Stadium, when everyone's exiting, like the strategy starts in the seventh inning. Should I leave in the top of the seventh, bottom of the eighth? Do I have time to stay the night? I'm gauging as I see people walk out. I don't want to leave now because that, then I'm going to get stuck in that traffic. So I start strategizing when to exit. So this particular game, the Dodgers were down 9 to 5. So I started strategizing in the eighth inning. Ninth inning comes. I've been given the tickets for free. They are down 9 to 5. So I literally get up and start walking out. I walk out of the stadium. This is a true story, September 18, 2006. I walk outside the stadium, and all of a sudden I hear a crack. I'm like, wow, they didn't hit a home run all game, and now I missed the only home run. I get halfway across the parking lot to my car. I'm like, that was two home runs in a row. I don't think I've ever seen two home runs in a row. True story, I get to my car. Window rolled down, cruising out of the parking lot. Crap. <laughs> Three home runs in the row. So we turned on the radio. People still did that back then. So we, we turned on the radio, and it is 9 to 8. I have missed three home runs in a row. And I wish I was telling you a lie, but on the radio. Crap. <laughs> Four home runs in a row. Nine to nine, 
day one, 10 to 9, and I'm listening on the radio. <laughs> oh, I know where I was, right? Five freeway, driving past Los Feliz. It's supposed to be Los Feliz, but it's Los Feliz, the people that don't have a proper accent. I know where I was, and the Dodgers won 10 to 9. This has only happened nine times in MLB history. And I missed out on history because I didn't want to be inconvenienced. And I, and I want to tell somebody, in the next five years of this church, in the next 20 years of this city, history will be made. And I don't want you to miss out because you don't want to be inconvenienced. I know it's inconvenient to go to Grow Track. I know it's inconvenient to sign up for the group. I know it's inconvenient to do your Bible study. I know it's inconvenient to pray. But I'm been sent here to warn somebody, you're getting ready to miss out on history if you don't want to be inconvenienced. I wish there was 100 people that would give God a shout of praise. Church, history was happening, and I was in a vehicle headed in the wrong direction, headed away from history in the making. And the worst part about them making history, the best part, was that they made it the worst part is I was there, but I left. Wow. Can I be real? Can I be real with you right now? Do not leave before you can make history. Because if you make history, you've left a legacy. If God has called you to be in this room, God will call people out of this church. But I do not believe for one second that he would ever call someone out of this church that doesn't leave a legacy behind them that is still building the church. To this day, there is something about being a part of history. That is so powerful. And I was in the car, headed in the wrong direction. You know why? I did not believe that being down nine to five, that they could come back and somebody here, you are so behind. You are jumping in the car and headed the wrong direction. You might, and you being down nine to five might be you're 50 and you still didn't start the business. You might be 60, but let me tell you something. You might be down nine to five in the spirit, but there's gonna be some history made if you would just not leave, if you would just stay planted in the church, stay planted in your family. Don't miss out on history because you don't think that your fight matters. We need you. We, we need you. The city needs you. Jehoshaphat was in the middle of a fight that he said, we're down. There's no way. But he trusted God. I want to give you four things from this story of Jehoshaphat that I believe is going to encourage you in your, in your spiritual warfare. Second. Chronicles 20, verse 16 through 17 says this, tomorrow march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel, but you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He, he said that you don't have to fight, but you gotta be in position. 
You don't have to fight, but you got to be in position. Some of us are in such a fight, and we're like, but I'm fighting. No, no, no. The, the, the verse, you don't have to fight, is based off the position you remain in. And I want to tell somebody that victory has a geography. Do not leave your post. God called you here. God called you to that job. Does anybody know David, David's worst sin? Not, not the David sitting next to you. So, I mean, the David of the Bible. Somebody said, yeah, he smoked a black and mild in the back of the church, and I told him not to. And then, uh, no, 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 not that David. Not that David. The David in the Bible. Does anybody know what they would call the David in the Bible's worst sin? Give me David's worst sin. Anybody know? It's interactive. Huh? Adultery. David's worst sin. She's talking about a story where it was actually murder and adultery. He was super lit. Like, this dude like saw Bathsheba and was like, woo! I'm, I'm acting like David was black. That's what we do when we like something. <laughs> White people are like, she's amazing, she's stunning. We just go, woo! I don't know. <laughs> Probably get an email about that, but that's okay. It was funny, it was funny. So. David is standing on the patio, and the Bible tells us that David's looking out and sees this woman who's beautiful, and so he sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, right, and then tries to hide it, so he intentionally sends her husband, Uriah, off to war so Uriah would die in battle so he could take Bathsheba as his wife, who is now pregnant by him. How bad does that sound? And we would know that to be David's worst sin. But I want to submit to you and suggest to you today, that is not David's worst sin. That is the fruit of his worst sin. Let me tell you his worst sin. Samuel, 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind. At a time where kings were normally out to war, David was at home. David's worst, worst sin was not Bathsheba. Bathsheba was a result of David being out of position, of David not being where he is supposed to be. The biggest thing that protects me and making sure I'm faithful to my family and my wife, the biggest thing that protects me is being in position, being where I'm supposed to be, being where God has called me. I want to ask somebody a question. Are you where you're supposed to be? You got to walk into church saying, I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to work at this job. Yes, it doesn't pay me what I wish it would pay me, but I'm supposed to be here. And people who are leaving their post need to know that vic victory has a geography. In the Second Chronicles 2020, it says early the next morning, the army of Judah got up and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And on the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem and Oasis, 
believe. Don't get to work and you don't believe. Because your biggest battle will always be your unbelief. The enemy wants to send you messengers to get your unbelief kicked up. And, and the Bible says, believe in the Lord your God. And so many of us are busy believing for, believing for the promotion, believing for the blessing. Belief is not so much about believing for, it involves that, it's about believing in. We believe in Jesus so powerfully, it quenches the desire to believe for so much because of who we believe in. It says believe in the Lord your God. And then I wanna tell somebody today Ephesians 6.12 says this, it reminds us who we're fighting against. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Let's not be so mad at people. Bob and them, I get it, you're upset about Bob and what Bob did and Bob in accounting and Bob and... But you need to bob and weave from blaming everything on Bob because we're not at war with flesh and blood. Our enemy is never a brother or sister in Christ Jesus. And I feel like God wanted me to tell people that many people fight the right battle with the wrong enemy. It's not them. Adam and Eve committed the worst sin ever. And God first, before he gave Adam and Eve the consequences, he turned to the devil and said, because you've done this. Why does the enemy want us to fight each other so much? Get us to the point where we're so hurt by church leaders and church people, we just live in that until we're 90. Because he knows there aren't too many soldiers. God doesn't raise up Rambos. He doesn't raise up like single handed warrior. He's not doing that. You've seen, the, you've seen Troy, Achilles. He doesn't do that. That's the movies. He raises up communities to fight. God, God if he's a, a record label exec, he only does groups. It's like the Wu-Tang Clan. It's not, you're not, you keep trying to cut a solo project. Stop going solo. Bobby Brown went solo. It's great, great, great album, but you need to get back in your community. Lone Ranger doesn't work with the enemy. You gotta be careful that you don't fight the right battle with the wrong enemy. Leviticus, you didn't think you were gonna hear in Leviticus. Leviticus 26.8, this is why the enemy makes us fight each other. Five of you will chase 100, and 100 of you will chase 10,000. If you are just by yourself, you can't do much damage. But, but the enemy knows a hundred of believers can chase 10,000 demons out of a city. Just a hundred. There's enough people in this service to turn Southern California upside down. There's enough people in this service for a move of God on the West Coast that no eye has seen, no ear has heard. He wants you to go solo. He wants you to make the enemy the person sitting next to you. I want to give you one more thought from 2 Chronicles 20. This is going to help you in your warfare. This is going to help you 
You want to be a part of this fight club. That's what we should call Christianity, the fight club. But it's a good fight. Second Chronicles 20, verses 21 through 22 says, After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And at the very moment they begin to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir to start a fighting among themselves at the very moment. I want you to know if you're going to win your spiritual battle in this season, send your worship ahead of your warfare. Can I be, I'm going to be real. Our services start at 9, 11, and 1. And certain people think they start at 9, 27, 11, 27, and 1, 27. And they do. I get it. It lives in L.A. You might have to come on the 405. I'm praying for you. But don't miss worship. Can I challenge you for the next 90 days? to leave 27 minutes early because the enemy's never late to the battlefield. Will anybody leave 27 minutes early to send their worship ahead of their warfare? Because the Bible says as soon as they begin to praise and worship God, the enemy was thrown into confusion. Send your worship ahead of your warfare. I know it, I can feel it in my bones that somebody's in a battle. And I want to encourage you to send your worship ahead of your warfare. Lift your hands to the heavens. What if right now every spirit of fear, every spirit of shame is leaving this place because about 750 people have their hands lifted to the heavens saying, this is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by the Spirit of God. I'm surrounded by the angel armies. Let me tell you something, devil. This is how I fight my battles. I fight my battles with faith. I fight my battles with peace. I fight my battles with hope. This is how I fight. I don't know how anybody else fights. I'm not here to judge anybody else. But I can tell you right now, in the midst of my trouble, in the midst of my darkness, this is how I fight my battles with a shout of praise. Is there anybody at the 11 a.m.?